This is the Doc Buddy Journal. I'm your host, Eric Sunset. Thanks for spending a little bit of your podcast consumption budget with us. We're recording this episode today, Thursday, September 14th, 2023. A little bit of housekeeping, then we'll jump right into it. If you are at the CASA Annual Conference, and that's the California Ambulatory Surgery Association's Annual Conference in beautiful Monterey, California, be sure to visit to Doc Buddy at booth number 32 is on your dance card. We'd love to give you an in-person look at our OpNet solution, which makes instant operative reports approved from the point of care with images a reality for your facility. Again, Doc Buddy booth number 32 at CASA. We'll be on the road for the next few weeks as well, visiting the New York Ambulatory Surgery Association's annual conference. We'll be at the Minnesota Ambulatory Surgery Center Association's annual conference, as well as Becker's ASC, Florida Bone Society, and the Washington Ambulatory Surgery Center Association. All these acronyms are a mouthful. Thanks for bearing with me there. All that to say, there's plenty of opportunities from coast to coast to see Doc Buddy Opnote and the rest of our solutions in person, and we hope to see you there. So for today, we're going to be looking at a story that the Sacramento Bee published this last week titled, As More Patients Email Doctors for Consultations, Health Systems Start Charging Fees. We want to take a look at the value chain. We want to look at provider time spent on this process. We want to look at the possibility of something like ChatGPT helping physicians handle this mountain of emails that they're receiving day after day, week after week, month after month. Obviously there's a burnout concern built into this equation. And that burnout concern starts with some data that we are already aware of, but is also cited in the article from CT Lynn, Chief Medical Information Officer at the University of Colorado Health. Shout out UC Health Denver. We're obviously headquartered in Denver, even though I'm recording this episode in Coral Gables, Florida. But CT Lynn shares that their physicians are doing between two and four hours of pajama time work, which is after hours each night. We've already talked about pajama time charting, pajama time administrative tasks. And the fact that the physicians at University of Colorado Health are spending between two and four hours each night replying to emails certainly fits into that statistic, and it's not really a good one. And the reason that some health systems are starting to charge fees for their physicians after hours time replying to messages is really spurred by the sharp rise in email messaging during the COVID pandemic at a clip of plus 50%. So you're doing 150% of the messaging post-COVID than what you were doing prior to the start of the global pandemic. And a growing number of health systems around the country have started charging patients when neither physicians or other clinicians are sending replies to patient messages. So the health systems that have adopted billing for some e-visits, and we'll look at which ones qualify in just a minute, for some e-visits include a number of the nation's premier medical institutions, like the Cleveland Clinic, like the Mayo Clinic, like San Francisco-based UCSF Health, Vanderbilt Health, shout out Nashville, St. Louis-based BJC Healthcare and Chicago-based Northwestern Medicine, and even the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, the VA, are now charging for certain patient messages to be sent to and replied by physicians. As one data point, and this is obviously state 
and insurance dependent, but an emailed consultation for one patient in the Sacramento Bee article, it cost her $13 versus her standard copay of 25. And we're already raising questions about the value chain here. It's obviously not sustainable to have physicians working for free for two to four hours each night, but what does the fear, uncertainty, and doubt of maybe being charged for an email message do for patients? Because it's not immediately clear as a patient that this message is one that's going to cost you. What does that mean for their health outcomes if you have a patient waffling on, you know, do I send this message or is it going to cost me 13 bucks or more just to get a reply to my email? Is that worth it? And we're especially looking at patients here who can't necessarily afford to come out of pocket for just sending an email. To date though, it doesn't seem to carry too negative of a consequence because UCSF, and that's the University of California, San Francisco, implemented charges for appropriate messages and saw only a 2% dip in message volume. Big caveat here though, my dear listener, UCSF patients are being billed for only 2 to 3% of eligible e-visits, and this is at least partly because it takes clinicians extra time and effort to figure out whether an email encounter qualifies for billing. Let's dissect that just a little bit. You're a physician. You're a physician because you want to treat patients. You want to lead people to the best possible health outcome that they can achieve. So you're applying to messages, you're applying to emails through your patient portal, through your other secure messaging app, whatever that may be. Great, check that box. But now I gotta figure out, is this a message that qualifies for me to bill it or not? So you're, you're adding on to that pajama time charting already, pajama time documentation, pajama time messaging. You get the gist of what I'm saying here. By needing to classify messages uh, to be billed or not. So let's look at what those factors are. A message that qualifies for billing is one where a doctor or other clinician responds to a patient message that takes five minutes or more of the provider's time over a seven-day period and requires medical expertise. And you're going to need to fit this encounter into one of three billing codes for e-visits that CMS gave us in 2020. So not totally unreasonable there. You're looking at a binary factor of time. Yes or no, it took me more than five minutes over the course of a week. Did it require my medical expertise? Maybe a little bit more of a gray area there. And then I got to fit this into one of three billing codes. So I've already reviewed the patient's encounter, reviewed the appropriate labs, the medication, whatever it may be. And now I need to figure this out too and let my billing team know. Not great. There's another factor here that e-visits that are eligible for billing include those relating to changes in medication, new symptoms, changes or checkups related to a long-term condition, and requests to complete medical forms. Now, I think you're seeing the balance shift, the responsibility shift, rather, a little bit towards the patient. If you've got a new symptom, or if you've got a, a chronic condition and a new symptom pops up, you know, is this really something you want to send an email about or should you be going into the office? So I think there's a little bit of ownership on the patient side that needs to be addressed as well. And the article is quick to call out that there's no charge for messages about appointment scheduling, prescription refills, or some other routine matter that doesn't require medical expertise. And hopefully your software, whether it's your patient portal slash EHR, 
or however you're handling patient messages, hopefully you're triaging those to the right place that a physician isn't dealing with the questions around appointment scheduling or some other routine matter, maybe their bill. So ownership on that side too, to make sure the messages end up in the right place and you're not putting clutter into a physician's inbox. Switching over to Eric Boos, CMIO at the Cleveland Clinic, and that's Chief Medical Information Officer, if you're not familiar with the acronym, Mr. Boos says that patients have not complained about the new billing policy and that they've become a little smarter and more succinct in their messages rather than sending multiple messages per week. Here's a spot where you know that value chain and incentives comes back into play. That's probably a good thing. I'm sure every medical practice, every facility in the country has a list of frequent flyers sending in a series of emails over the course of a week or the course of a month or the course of their treatment, whatever that may be, where you're going, ah, you gotta be kidding me. Like, what are you doing sending this type of message in? You know the answer or this is, you know, level one stuff, level one reading comprehension type stuff. So I get that. That's probably a good thing that you are giving that type of a patient with that type of message a second thought about sending it in, uh, or they'll be billed, obviously. <clears throat> Good. So then moving on, AJ Holmgren, who's the assistant professor of health informatics at UCSF, shared that while patients with minor acute conditions may not mind paying for an email visit rather than coming into the office, the new billing policies could dissuade patients with serious chronic conditions from messaging their doctors. Quote, we don't know who is negatively affected, he said. Are we discouraging high value messages that produce a lot of health gains? That is a serious concern, end quote. That raises a little bit of a question for me, and I'm a layman, obviously, not a, not a physician myself, but what kind of emailed question and emailed response would produce a significant health gain? You know, we're, we're in the world of value-based care. We've always been in the world where physicians want the best possible outcomes for their patients. What exactly are we leaving in this perilous situation where an emailed response is going to produce a significant health gain? If that's reality, if such a thing exists, this is raising a big red flag for me then, assuming that first point is true, that an emailed response can provide a significant health gain. What are we doing with second and third order consequences where an outcome is dependent on an email, but a patient is unsure if they're gonna be charged for it or not, or knows they will be and doesn't end up sending in the question? It doesn't totally add up for me. And to be perfectly clear, I'm not suggesting physicians should not be reimbursed for their time and expertise. I think they absolutely should. However, if there really are outcomes dependent on patients being able to communicate freely, and that's literally freely with their physician, then your value chain's out of alignment. It just is. So in doing so though, health system execs are hoping that this pay to email arrangement will prod patients to think a little more carefully about whether an in-person visit might be more appropriate than a lengthy message. And I think, again, that's a, a fairly reasonable hurdle to clear especially if you're that provider receiving just an inordinate amount of clutter in your inbox. And by clutter, what I mean is low thought, low value messages and questions from patients that if they had just read their printed instructions, 
or even what's available on a patient portal if you don't print instructions anymore, there'd be no reason for the message. However, the article shows that if you charge for these messages, you're still receiving 98% of the pre-charge volume. So pre-implementation of a charge per message policy, you're still receiving almost 100% of the volume. And that may change, obviously, that may change as more automation or physicians become more savvy or more willing to charge for emailed replies. You might see that number go from 98% down to something like 85 or 90. That's not a huge decrease, though. I mean, we're still talking about between two and four hours of effort for a physician to clear their inbox each night. So what can you do? Well, University of Colorado Health. UC Health is, is experimenting with an alternative way of easing the time burden of e-visits on physicians. And I, I want to stop here for just a second, too. There's a big difference between a question that re requires medical expertise that's a follow-up type question. There's a big difference between that and hey, I'm running a fever and my throat hurts and I started to cough and I'm not sleeping. Like That's a new issue. That's essentially a new type of encounter, not a follow-up question. So patient, what do you think you should do? Maybe set an appointment to see the physician if it's that big of a concern or go to CVS and get some cold medicine and, and tough it out and call the physician if you really do feel sick. So I think there's, again, responsibility on both sides here to be able to handle the volume as a provider, volume of messages, and there's a responsibility on the patient side too, that not everything warrants, give me an antibiotic and I'll be better. Well, what if it's a viral infection? Then you got no business taking an antibiotic. It's not gonna do anything for you. And in fact, there's a pretty strong argument to be made that's worse for the macro environment to just be taking antibiotics because you want a pill. Anyway, a little bit of a soapbox there. But what UC Health is doing is that they're, they're an epic shop, as many health systems across the country are. They are going to be using an artificial intelligence chatbot to draft email replies to patient messages. The chatbot's draft message will then be edited by the provider. Red flag, waving the red flag here. As we've said before, I seriously doubt that any serious time savings are going to be yielded here, except for the most basic mundane sort of a response. I do concede that this chatbot will save the time needed to type a message, but, but the patient's history and encounter notes are still gonna need to be reviewed by a provider. The chatbot reply will still need to be reviewed and edited, and hopefully its reply is really accurate and that process doesn't take very much time. I would not want to be the guinea pig for this as a physician that, that's already burned out, that's already spending too much time on administrative tasks. You know, we've talked about the laws surrounding consumer protection with AI previously. A lot of that's still being drawn up. There really aren't any laws. There's certainly no federal law that applies to patient protections with the use of AI in their treatment. But can you imagine the crap storm that will ensue if an AI chatbot reply is sent to a patient and it causes harm. Think about it. These messages need to be reviewed very carefully and good physicians and good health systems are gonna say, hey, we've got a tool for you here. It's a chatbot, it's going to help your process, but you still need to review it. You're still gonna to need to look at the patient's chart for context. You're still gonna to need to be sure that what this thing drafted for you is what you wanna to say to the patient. 
because we can't have this tool causing harm, right? So this eventually, I think, will evolve into a probably pretty elegant solution, but for now, the state of play, the state of technology, and the state of that regulation, you're gonna be adding friction to this process by requiring more physician oversight over this chatbot, potentially more time than it would take just to do the process manually. So it is a very typical healthcare fix to just kind of move around the friction, move around the pain, like, oh, you don't have to type the email anymore, the chatbot's gonna type it for you, but you're gonna to need to review it, you're gonna to need to edit it, you're gonna to need to be sure that we're CYA to cover our tails here from our compliance side of the house, from our legal side of the house, because we can't just have the chatbot interacting with patients on your behalf, because it's not a doctor. And as you'll recall from prior episodes about things like chat GPT, these LLMs, these large language models, they don't actually know anything. They're a word predictor, they're a sentence predictor, they're a paragraph predictor, and they look pretty good on the surface. But I've yet to see an output out of chat GPT that was 100% accurate. You're not getting the, the medical experience, the medical expertise, the medical decision-making that a physician brings to the table. So the amount of oversight needed for this type of chatbot solution that's really built to streamline a process, I think you're giving that up in efficiency for the review and the editing of that draft. And I, I think there's even one other important point to make here since Marty's standing up so tall on my soapbox that because these softwares like AI chatbots, LLMs, ChatGPT, you know, pick your poison there, because they don't actually know anything, they can only know the things that the model is fed, right? So right now we're talking about a message from a patient about either an existing or a new condition, which may or may not be better served with an actual office visit, but you're, you're, you're relying on the model to have perfect data going into it, to have a perfect response. What percent of medical records have an error? It's not zero, it's not zero percent. So basically what I'm trying to say is that unless you can guarantee all of the inputs are perfect, you're gonna guarantee that somebody has to edit and ensure that the response is appropriate and accurate. All in all, I think we're on the right track though. But you know how seriously we view the epidemic of physician burnout. You know how seriously DocBuddy takes physician workflows and, and we do everything we can to ameliorate these workflows to ensure physicians are not chained to their desk after hours, that they have more time for life. And if you'd like to learn more about how we do that, I'd encourage you to visit docbuddy.com. Check out our solutions menu, you can see all of our different products that serve the across the variety of places of service that a physician, a mid-level and even staff may have from the clinic to on-call at the hospital, to inpatient, to the ambulatory surgery center. Again, that's docbuddy.com. You can fill out the contact form, love to get in touch with you, get you a customized demo of one of our products as well as a value assessment of where we can save you time and money. And with that, we'll sign off for this week's Doc Buddy Journal. Thank you again for listening on behalf of the entire Doc Buddy team. I'm your host, Eric Sunset. We'll talk to you again soon.